Mental illness and trauma are tricky things. Sometimes they go unnoticed for years, leaving survivors to wonder what the hell is wrong with them and what could be causing all these weird issues that make you different than everyone else. Sometimes everyone around you just misses those signs and assumes you're awkward, shy, and just not very good at life. Sometimes you yourself fail to see these signs until years have gone by and you're already deep in a pit of suffering brought on by mental illness or trauma. And sadly, there are some people who never fully realize what's wrong with them and go through life just thinking they're a failure. Pulling back the curtain on mental health issues can be vital in being your best you. But if you don't know what to look for, it could seem impossible, like you're trying to put together a puzzle without looking at the picture on the box. The failure of others around you to see those issues can make that process so much worse. In a sense, that's the real tragedy of today's film. This episode, we're taking a look at Darren Aronofsky's brilliant psychological thriller ballerina movie, Black Swan. Just like the scenarios I described, there's a lot of turmoil going on behind that curtain of mystery that most of the characters never see. And sadly, most of the viewers never see it either. I saw this film twice before I realized what was really going on, and it's only because a trauma survivor spelled it out for me in a blog post. Pulling back the curtain on the main character Nina's psychological issues gives new meaning to this film, just like it does for many suffering mental health issues today. The plot of Black Swan follows Nina, a young ballerina trying to be the best in her company, as she tries to transform herself to fit the dual role of the Swan Queen in a production of Swan Lake. The White Swan is personified by grace, precision, control, and purity. The Black Swan is personified by brilliance, intuition, a hint of rebellion, and sexuality. Nina begins the film as a great depiction of the White Swan, but she must learn to embrace her darker side to become the Black Swan when the role calls for it. As she lets her Black Swan out, things begin to unravel and the curtain is pulled back on her significant mental health issues. However, just as Nina hasn't fully realized the full extent of her issues, they're not explicitly stated in the film, leaving viewers to put the pieces together to find out what's really going on with her. Black Swan is a film with a lot going on underneath the surface and it gives viewers a lot to think about. Mental illness, trauma, the high cost of perfection in art, and the messed up behind the scenes world of ballet are all explored here in great depth, and there are some brilliant metaphors in play to help describe what's going on. This is a great film that shows viewers what it's like to struggle with issues you can't begin to explain or understand, which is something a lot of us with mental illness and past trauma have dealt with. Maria and I are going to pull back the curtain on Nina and her issues here to help shed some light on this complex character and film, and hopefully the process of understanding your own mental health issues. All that and more coming up in this episode of Peculiar Picture Show, the podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. Welcome to Peculiar Picture Show, a podcast that talks about movies, maladies, and mental health. I'm one of your hosts, Maria Malazzo. And I am your other host, Brandon Gregory. Today we were looking at Black Swan. It is a 2010 independent film. It's a psychological thriller about ballet, which may sound like an odd combination, but it totally works. So it stars Natalie Portman, Mila Kunis, and a few others, but it's mainly about the two of them, and it uses Swan Lake as a, a metaphor for not only the creative process and the price of good art, but also just what's going on with this character, Nina, and uh, her transformation. And so Swan Lake, very famous ballet. You've got yeah, I've, never, I've never seen a ballet. Have you seen a ballet? 
I have not okay, seen a ballet. Okay. <laughs> um, from what I understand, like ballet is really fucking hard. Um, so it does not get as like as, as much credit as it deserves in society today, just because a lot of people don't watch ballet. And you know, I'm one of those people. Yeah, I, um, I've never, yeah, I've never done that. I wasn't a ballet ballerina when I was younger, like a lot of little girls. So yeah, <laughs> mm-hmm. definitely a world well, I'm I also not used was to. Not a ballerina. Yeah, yeah, so, or, yeah. <laughs> it's um. I mean, that's the thing is to, to make it in ballet, you really have to pour yourself into it. And that's exactly what this character, Natalie Portman's character, Nina, does. And she, I mean, her whole life is about this ballet. And, and so it's it delves into that. But on the mental health front, it also talks about psychosis, emotional abuse, possibly sexual abuse, abuse of power, all kinds of stuff that are, are kind of preying on this poor character, Nina. Natalie Portman really poured herself into this role. She spent, I think, a year training in dancing before they even started filming. And this was an independent film, so they did not have funding. So she was paying for a lot of that out of her own pocket. Wow. She just got dance lessons for herself and trained for a whole year. And like I said, ballet is really fucking hard. So even though she trained for an entire year, they still had to bring in a dance double. It was, let's see, Sarah Lane. She did some of the more difficult moves. After the film came out and everybody was like, Natalie Portman is amazing. Sarah Lane actually came out and said like, hey, I was doing most of that dancing. The thing is, Darren Aronofsky, like he said, he actually, he worked the math. Uh, He's like, you know, there are 139 dance shots in the film. 111 are Natalie Portman untouched. And so there are some where Sarah Lane was dancing and they kind of superimposed Natalie Portman's face on her. But like 111 of those scenes are Natalie Portman completely untouched, just completely Natalie Portman. So he says, if you do the math, that's 80% Natalie Portman. And so she, I mean, like, she she lost 20 pounds right. and to look more like a ballerina. And she's already pretty thin, yeah, you know? Yeah, so. tiny. And M- Mila Kunis did lo- lose a lot of weight as well. The um, yeah. Her doppelganger or whatever you want to call her in the film, uh-huh. the black swan in the film. The black swan. <laughs> um, did she yeah. also do... Um, was Mila Kunis also doing ballet? What did I read that she also? You know, um, she grew up doing ballet. Oh, I don't think she um, trained before the film as much as Natalie Portman did. Because, I mean, like, frankly, like, Natalie Portman spends a lot more time dancing oh, on screen. yes, yes. Um, <laughs> so it makes sense. So, you know, um, but, I'm, you know, she also did some training. And the two of them were friends beforehand. It was actually Natalie Portman that recommended Mila Kunis. I'd never really considered Mila Kunis a dramatic actress until I saw this. But she does a phenomenal job. Oh, yeah, she did. In this, so both of them are, yeah, they knocked it out of the park. And I mean, like Natalie Portman in particular really took a beating with this. She hurt herself on set. (laughs) Darren Aronofsky is like, we can't afford a medic, and so Natalie Portman said, "Tell you what, I will give up my trailer." if you could get a medic. And so the next day she showed up a set and her trailer was gone. Oh gosh. <laughs> they, yeah, they, they got a medic. Wow. She actually like, she got hurt and needed some physical therapy. And the Darren Aronofsky is like, can you stay in character and filmed it? And that made it into the movie. So the scene where Nina is getting an adjustment was really Natalie Portman getting an adjustment. Oh. <laughs> that was like that really unnecessary. That adjustment very uncomfortable too. Like, oh my gosh. Yeah. Like, like reaching underneath uh, the rib cage. That's crazy. Yeah, so that was... it, I mean, it really makes you feel like how much of a sacrifice ballet dancers make oh, yeah. for their art. Yeah. And I know that Darren Aronofsky said that he wanted this to kind of be a companion piece to the movie The Wrestler, which had oh, come yeah. out before. And I have not seen The Wrestler. Oh, yeah. okay. Which is also about kind of art and um and, and mm-hmm. showmanship and sacrificing yourself and uh, your health and 
stuff to to kind of be an artist be the superstar yeah, yeah, yeah. and be a superstar yeah so um so it's interesting um oh I'm, I'm i hope you go and and watch the wrestler now maybe <laughs> i should yeah because yeah. that's also aronofsky right right yeah so it's yeah yeah, yeah he, so he, i've heard he, it's super good yeah it is it's very i i think it's very good and, and full disclosure i used to date a uh, professional wrestler not a big time professional wrestler but an, an uh-huh. indie indie wrestler a professional wrestler in orlando there's it's actually Orlando has kind of a big scene, Florida in general, for wrestling, wrestling, and they used to film uh-huh. some of the wrestling there in, in Universal. So I kind of know, I, I would say probably more the, than the average person knows about professional wrestling, but I still didn't really get that into it. But yeah. <laughs> Anyway, that was a so, nice little aside. Maybe, that. <laughs> maybe we'll have to add that one to our list, the wrestlers. And actually, I read somewhere that um, Aronofsky actually had originally intended Black Swan to be a subplot in The Wrestler. And then eventually he's like, no, that's just too crazy oh, yeah, and that, took it out. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So Yeah, well, maybe um, maybe one day if um, we, we get the pod started and uh, start doing some Patreon and some extras, we can do like a wrestler versus a Black Swan kind of podcast. So. Yeah, it's um, I mean, killer movie. Um, Natalie Portman, like basically everyone who gave out an award for best actress, gave it to Natalie Portman that year. Yeah, she just swept every award. Mila Kunis won a few awards for best supporting actress. It won a few, um, not the Academy Award, but a few other awards for like best picture or best screenplay. So it's it like this movie cleaned up in the awards, <laughs> especially. I'm um, Natalie Portman made this movie. She really poured herself into the role. Very powerful. Oh yeah, and it's—I mean—so many layers in this movie too. Like, there. This is my second time watching it. Have you had you seen this one before? Yes, I believe this was either my second or my third time watching it. There, there are a lot of layers. I had a—I was taking a lot of notes while watching it just so that I can remember about stuff. I, I think one of the things I know you were talking about how Natalie Portman did a lot of research and dance and everything, and I also found a lot of articles online that were kind of upset with like the stereotypical. Like that, that it was almost like stereotyping ballerinas and the art, um, Uh, you know, and that is always like, it's always interesting to me to think about stereotypes in terms of like, why do we have them? What are they there for? Some, mm -hmm. some, some movie directors do a good job in commenting on stereotypes. Like I think John Waters does an excellent job at um, kind of poking fun at stereotypes and how we look at the world through that lens. But it's like some of me and like, well, I mean, yeah, it does do the extreme, right? We have, they, they have, you know, Mally Portman is throwing up a lot in this movie. So there's some kind of, uh, yeah, is she, is she her, you know? I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah like it, it's hinting towards that. And, uh, you know, obviously right off the bat, I noticed in the beginning of the movie, um, she's eating a half a grapefruit and like a poached egg for breakfast. And I'm like, man, oh, yeah. who can survive off of that? And when you're doing all those dance moves and you're expending all those calories and energy, like, and so there yeah. is some, I think, validity to like the stereotypeness of that, and also like um, just being cutthroat ballerinas, getting doing anything to be a star. Kind of, um, you know, once you uh-huh. are like climb to the top, you like screw everybody beneath you, kind of thing. So I didn't know if that was a good thing to kind of talk about how stereotypes are used in here, and is it a bad thing, or is it a you know, is Darren Aronofsky maybe making um, a comment on on that type? And also, is it really a stereotype if the whole entire movie is told through Nina's eyes? You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. You know, like uh-huh. it, this is purely right her movie. We do not really mm-hmm. see things without her in the scene 
or without her through her lens. There's very, it's very rare. Yeah. And sometimes we can't even tell the difference between like her perception of reality and actual reality. It's just, it is. There's a lot of there's a lot of crap here. <laughs> it's a lot of right. literary stuff going on in <laughs> layers, like an onion or a parfait. segments what did you like about the film what were your favorite parts i really liked like i I think i just said being submersed into the character's world like Mm -hmm. we don't really have that much of a third party view or omnipotence here right every single scene has her in it we're seeing things through her eyes and so it makes for kind of a really confusing movie i would say if if i had to describe it it's very chaotic and very like the first, even I've seen it before. So this was like my second or maybe third time. So I knew what happened at the end. I was still like, uh-huh. wait a minute, what's going on here? What is Mila Kunis's character? Um, and I, I really had to actively think about, okay, like she's seeing herself in, in Mila Kunis and, she's be- and Mila Kunis is always in black. You know, Natalie Portman's character right. always in white until towards the end. She starts, I started right. noticing she starts wearing gray and darker colors when she starts becoming mm-hmm. and embodying this black swan character. I really love that, that journey into madness and through madness. We definitely are taken along with her on this journey mm-hmm. step by step because we are ourselves also kind of confused and we don't know what's going on and she doesn't <laughs> yeah. know what's going on and it's because the character is confused yeah. yeah and so i really loved how i was kind of just really put in in the moment in this movie and i really it, it's such it's so well executed that it's so much in her view that um that it's hard to say things like, oh, stereotypes, blah, 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 but maybe that's how Nina sees it. And that's, you know, and that you have to question, yeah, maybe that's not, you know, a stereotype, but just Nina, this is how she sees her life and her being a ballerina and and, and all that stuff. So I mean, you really get a feel for this Nina character and you really understand her. And she is a really deep character. Yeah. There's a lot going on with that character. Oh, um, there is so, that was so really much cool going on. Yeah. yeah. And, and none of it seems like faked or contrived or like too hard. You know what I'm saying? Every every relationship right. she has is seems so real and tangible and um mm-hmm. and, and not made up at all. So it's it's hard to get into the stereotypes when everything feels so so real. What about you? What were things that you like? Um well I mean like it's oh gosh, there's just so much depth to the characters, to the themes. Like this is one that, you know, English majors like you and I love to watch because there are just so many things to dig into. And so I, I think we talked a little bit about this before uh recording, but I read after watching it the second time, which I just did, that there was a theory going around on the internet that Nina was sexually abused by her mother Erica. And normally anytime a sentence begins with there's a theory on the internet, like I don't pay a lot of attention to that. But I actually I like I looked into this one and there's some like really serious and intentional stuff going on here so i read two accounts Mm -hmm. one from a therapist that specializes in sexual abuse and one from somebody who herself suffered from sexual abuse and they kind of laid things out and and both of them said like if you know what you're looking for it's very blatant Uh, but if you don't know it's kind of hidden which is kind of uh 
I, I guess a metaphor for, you know, just how these people live in real life, where it's like, if you if you know what you're looking for, yeah, it's very blatant, but most people will never notice these signs of abuse in people. I mean, from the start, we know Erica's, uh, Erica, um, Nina's mother is emotionally abusive and extremely manipulative. Yes. The the cake scene really is just such a microcosm oh for their God, entire they threw relationship. Away that it was cake. They were going to throw oh, They almost man. threw it away. I, yeah, I was so. like, no. Please, the food. Think it's about just, the food. Yeah, because if not for that, the only food we'd have to talk about would be the grapefruit, and that's a and the travesty. Poached egg, and then the vomit. The poached egg. Uh, yeah, I think it was the oh, poached gosh. egg, but yeah. Like, oh man. So yeah, there's you know she and her mother like manipulates her into taking some of the cake, and you notice like as soon as her mother turns on the manipulation, like Nina kind of reverts to a childlike state. Like she uses words like mommy and yummy when she's in this childlike state around her mother, her mother still dresses her and walks freely into yeah. her bedroom and bathroom. Mm -hmm. Her bedroom is full of like little kids stuffed animals. And so had they made this movie and Nina had been like 12 years old or 10 years old, I think it would have been kind of a sweet thing. But like Natalie Portman was like 29 when they filmed oh, this. And that's definitely. really creepy. It's very creepy. And it, it's even just as creepy as all of the paintings that her mother has in that room. Right. That's creepy. <laughs> <laughs> It's yeah, especially within that one scene, you know the one, right? But, uh, with yep. all that, yeah, they all start so, talking to her, uh, and they're all yeah. like her, right? Like, yeah, I think I think they're all of hers. So. Her daughter. It's, I mean, like it's it's very clear from the start that Erica is using Nina to meet her unmet emotional needs, but at the same time, she is not reciprocating. She doesn't care about Nina's needs. No. She's just using her to meet her needs. Yeah. And so there are things that I think Erica thinks she's being a good mother, but they're not meeting Nina's needs. And when they're not meeting Nina's needs, like Erica just puts her foot down and says like, nope, it's all about my needs. And like totally throws Nina under the bus. Like for that, it's just, yeah, there's uh, a lot of that going on. So anyway, I, I start doing some reading. Um, So incest survivors, like later on in life, if they're not getting therapy for that, they can develop eating disorders. Um, They can show signs of self-injury social isolation and a lot of times when faced with authority they will show extreme passivity which we see with um her and oh gosh what's what's his name the the artistic director guy robert robert uh, robert Tom, thomas leroy that's it oh, the really that, creepy guy then why did i think oh because they say okay i don't know why i was saying robert i think i because the other night i was watching something and somebody's name was robert i think it was star uh -huh. star trek i think that's Jean-Luc Picard's uh, brother's right. name, Thomas. They call him Tom instead of Tom Thomas, Thomas, right? Okay, okay that's why. So yeah, they, they do the Thomas. French version so, of it. Yeah. Oh, Thomas. Yeah. Thomas, Leroy. So, I mean, he's like super creepy, but I mean like- Oh, he's you know, definitely- it, He's a monster. Yeah. yeah, he's a monster. And then like one of the other big things you see is incest survivors often show a fear of sexuality because several times throughout this, you see Nina referred to as frigid or undesirable. Like at one point, like Thomas Leroy actually says, would you fuck this girl? And the implied answer is no. And, and like, he's like, no, that's a terrible thing. And so like- you know, people comment on how fearful she is of sexuality, which is just a defense mechanism she developed from the sexual abuse she 
uh, dealt with from her mother. And so, I mean, because like Nina, she starts to view closeness as inherently sexual, you know, because she's sexualized by her mother, Erica, and sexually abused. She is sexually abused by the artistic director as she starts to get close to him. And so she equates closeness with sexuality. And you notice like there's a little bonding scene where she and Lily go out clubbing and they become very close friends. And so Nina, in her mind, she's like, oh, we're getting close. That must mean this is sexual. And so her mind kind of fills those gaps with the little fantasy scene. And you notice imaginary Lily even says, sweet girl, which is what Erica says to her. Mm-hmm. And so there are lots of creepy things going mm-hmm. on there. Yeah, yeah. And I didn't get that it was her mom sexually abusing mm-hmm. her, um, though maybe I, it's the, all behind the scenes maybe, it's not over yeah, yeah maybe the the sweet girl line um but i do know that i have read that a lot of women who are sexually abused when they were younger will have self-harm behaviors so i am myself a cutter uh-huh. i have you know i yeah. was went through sexual abuse and that's actually kind of a normal thing when you were abused somehow when you're young sexually and so i uh-huh. didn't know at first if she was like a cutter or self-harm or if it was more or the skin picking, the scratching, which I think is called, I looked it up, dermatillomania, um, which is a form of obsessive compulsive Mm -hmm. disorder, which is similar to injury, self-injuring and cutting, that it's self-inflicted. But the cutting that I do isn't really about having OCD or control. It's more about... Like releasing pain. Releasing my emotion. Yeah, Yeah, like I get Uh such these bad, like really, if I get really frustrated or upset and it's just there's no other way, I feel like I need to cut myself to show how hurt I am. So I was like, yeah, Yeah. so I was like, I even said, because I know that statistics about... Being a cutter, self-harm can indicate a lot of um, sexual trauma from childhood. I was wondering, Uh was she abused somehow? I didn't ever put it together with her mom. Maybe it was her mom. But it's also, you know, Uh it is definitely Tomas doing it. Definitely. He is taking advantage of her. He is. I mean, well, he's taking advantage of the state that I think was created by Erica. And so, like, that's the thing is, like, the movie kind of sets up Toma to be the villain of this story. But if you start looking between the lines and reading into why is Nina the way she is, like, I think Erica is the real villain of this story. Toma just kind of took advantage of the situation. But, I mean, the person who has done the most damage is Erica. Yeah, yeah but he's definitely done this before. He's done this to the Winona Ryder character. Oh, yeah, he did it to Beth. And, yeah. um, and yeah. then <laughs> just threw her away afterwards. And it's, it's very clear he's grooming Nina to be the, you know, the next fling in his life or whatever it is because at the end when she kisses him he has this smile like yep i've done it you know yeah it's it's super creepy so many parts of this movie are creepy there's a lot of there's a lot of creepy parts but yeah oh gosh the mother and the mother and that's interesting to think of her as kind of the villain here i I was almost even thinking that I don't know, like are we are our own villains but yeah i i think i can see it more Because a lot of it is about, you know, duality and having this dark side and the light side and having, you know, and uh, and thinking about, you know, that we all kind of have that inside of us. And what happened to Nina that 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 made her separate these parts where she almost has dissociative disorder, identity disorder, multiple personality one, you know. Right. Yeah. So I mean, like, I, I don't know how close that is to schizophrenia, but I know schizophrenia is classified as a psychotic disorder. And I think she has some sort of psychotic disorder. I don't know enough to, right. you know, say what she has. So she clearly has psychosis. Mm-hmm. And so I, I think she's developed that, you know, probably due to past trauma. And there may also be some some family 
up there, but yeah. Yeah, even Erica says, you know, not this not the scratching again. Like so she's she's this has happened before. It's a recurring thing. Right. It's a it's definitely something that is known that she has some kind of issues there and that it's happened before this is the most extreme though because at the end it's curtains right it's <laughs> it's it's the actual end i'm thinking i mean uh-huh. you know i think that she dies at the end i don't know i'm sure we don't you can always make that argument that because we don't see someone actually I, I have die a theory, on train which I'll get into. Ooh, oh, yeah. okay okay we don't have to but so. so my boyfriend always has that theory about like and i don't know if this is like game of thrones spoiler or whatever for people but i mean it's almost the last season of game of thrones so um he doesn't think that stannis died so in the game of thrones uh-huh. Rianne like freaking kills stannis or whatever and this is only going to make sense to some people who have seen the game of thrones but he has this uh-huh. big theory that because we don't see him die he's going to come back <laughs> and um everyone all my friends make fun of him for it and i was like well i mean he's kind of has a point if you don't see someone die on screen right there's always that possibility that they might come there's back. always the chance so like Nina if somebody might doesn't back. die on screen that is a conscious decision <laughs> right. so and there's the, yeah, i so, mean black swan 2 might be coming out soon no i'm just kidding black swan 2 yeah. <laughs> the crossover with the wrestler <laughs> yes it's black swan 2 and right. now the wrestler too i think that yeah i think i like this idea of um if you know if we do um an, an a, like episode for our, our fans um uh, that support us, we can uh, we can do like a crossover episode of the wrestler and the Black Swan. But <laughs> maybe we could do like a audio drama where I'm the wrestler and you're the Black Swan. Yes. I don't know. That I sounds don't... really creepy. I don't I know. I mean, sometimes <laughs> it's totally creepy. a joke. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I am totally kidding. I'm not. I'm not kidding. Yes. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> sometimes creepy things are are, are interesting. So. Like this movie. I love this yeah, movie. It can be very it's creepy. It's so great. Before I looked into any of this sexual abuse thing, I was looking into psychosis. And it's, I mean, like, just before before I get into that, it's just like, as someone with mental illness, like, losing control is one of the things that you fear the most. Yes. And so I hardly ever drink when I'm in the presence of others just because I don't want to lose control. Like, losing my inhibitions is terrifying for me mm-hmm. because mental illness causes me to make some <laughs> bad decisions from time to time. But, you know, Notice, like throughout this, like they're like, you need to become this black swan because you're really bad. You're so tightly in control. And that's the white swan. And the black swan is all about losing control and losing yourself. Like I think Tama actually says like, you know, I see you dance and it's always perfect, but I have never seen you lose yourself. And all the accounts I read of, not all, but some of the accounts I read of psychosis um, indicate that it does feel like you're losing yourself. It does feel like somebody else is taking over. Is the mental illness a metaphor for the ballet or is the ballet a metaphor for the mental illness I you know I think they work hand in hand I think it's equally about both but I mean like at one point like I I think Nina actually is concerns that Lily is trying to take her part and she actually says like she's trying to replace me so I mean like very clearly it's like there's somebody something inside of me and it's taking over and that scares me I am losing control of myself but everybody's telling her that's what you have to do to be the black swan and you know they're saying like you know, that's what you have to do to be perfect. That's what you have to do to achieve this art. And so that's what she wants to be. Uh, she wants to be perfect. And in the end, she says, I did it. I'm perfect. And then presumably she dies. <laughs> but uh, I mean, she's 
it's just it goes hand in hand with the psychosis. It feels like somebody else is taking over your body. And we even see like a black swan version of Nina kind of act independently of the white swan version of Nina in a few scenes. And it's done so well that it, the first time I saw the movie, I assumed it was a different actress. So, I mean, there, you know, the big question is, does she die at the end? Well, I think there's actually there's a lot going on in that last scene. The first time I saw it, I assumed that the death or possible death was a consequence of the neurotic quest for perfection. But upon learning about the sexual abuse and then reading a little more about Swan Lake, I think there's a lot more going on there. So I'm going to I'm going to dig into Swan Lake a little here. So <laughs> here's see, acts one through three of Swan Lake. Oh, first of all, fun fact. Um, originally, the white swan and the black swan were played by two different ballerinas. Ah, okay. Um, it's, okay. A, it's a recent innovation that they're played by the same person. Ooh, okay. So that's the thing that wasn't even for this movie. This is a thing that happens now is that they play the same part. Oh, yeah. Okay. Um, and so there, there are a few other changes that have been made along the way i might get into those later but here's the story of black swan there's a guy named siegfried Mm -hmm. he goes out hunting and sees some swans and then one of the swans transforms into a human her name is odette she's the white swan and she explains that she's been cursed to remain a swan until someone who has never been in love falls in love with her and so she kind of hits it off with prince siegfried they begin to fall in love but meanwhile um the person who put the curse on them has a daughter who has also been cursed to become a swan and so his daughter odile the black swan disguises herself as odette and kind of steals uh siegfried's love okay and so siegfried thinks he's falling in love with odile actually falls in love with the black swan odette and so he, in, in the end, like at, by the end of act three, he realizes, oh man, I screwed up. But at that point, he's no longer a person that has never been in love, which means he can't break the spell. So Siegfried feels terrible about this. So that's all, that's all in the past. And we don't see any of that. Like uh, we see little bits and pieces. I think we see a little bit of act two where Nina dances the white swan. We see a little bit of act three where Nina dances the black swan. And then most of that sequence at the end is act four. And so act four, Odette is, I mean, naturally she's pretty upset because she realizes like, okay, this is not my big break. I'm going to be a swan possibly forever. So Siegfried finds her, he apologizes and he's like, I feel really bad about this. Now this is all done through dance. And so there's no actual dialogue. Right, because it's uh, a ballet. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. So Siegfried is like, I feel terrible about this, but you know, Odette actually does forgive him and you know, she forgives him, but then she's like, I'm going to be a swan the rest of my life. I can't live with this. So even though she forgives Siegfried, she chooses to end her own life to escape the curse. And so going back to the sexual abuse with her mother, there's the big blow up with her mom right before Swan Lake, right before the premiere. And um, she, you know, has this big fight. And uh, like, I think that's the confrontation. Like, hey, I'm mad about all this abuse. I'm not mad about this situation. Everything I'm mad about with this abuse is coming out. Right as Nina's Odette, the white swan, is giving her apology or accepting the apology from Siegfried. She looks down at Siegfried, kind of nods knowingly, forgiving him. Then she looks out in the audience and sees her mom. And like, I think that's the first time we see any regret on Erica's face. She has tears in her eyes. She generally, genuinely, I think, feels bad about what she has done. And then it cuts back to Nina with tears in her eyes. She gives the knowing glance. And so she forgives her mother. Uh, But she's like, you know, even though I forgive you, I still have to live with this curse you gave me for my entire life. And so because of that, she leaps to her death to escape the curse. She's like, there is no no escape from this curse. I'm going to be like this rest of my life because of the curse 
Right. Because of your betrayal. And so, I, you know, she chooses to end her life. And so, I mean, does she die? Doesn't she die? It's not clear. But I think, I, I think it was her intention to end her own life to escape the curse. I think she saw that. So, I mean, the death I originally thought was, you know, the consequence for the quest for perfection. I think it's actually an escape from a life of abuse. I think that's what it's supposed to be. Yeah, you convinced me. Yeah, that was a good analysis, Brandon. Wow. Yeah, that English degree is coming in handy. <laughs> so that was like I I'm reading. A paper I feel on like this. I read. Yeah, like I feel like I was reading an essay <laughs> in the paper. It's like bringing me it's an audio essay. Good job. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna. Yeah, I'm gonna send this podcast to some of yeah. my former English I know. professors. Maybe we could get on think, a panel so. at AWP or whatever <laughs> one All of right. the conferences that they have. So yeah, there's. So much going on, especially in that last scene. Now, I mean, the the metaphor I think breaks down. You can't view the entirety of Black Swan or of Swan Lake as a metaphor for Nina's life because the metaphor does break down. But in that last scene, I think it's a very clear parallel between the two, between what's going on in her life and what's going on in the character's life, and that explains a lot of what's going on with Nina. Yeah. Well, you you got me. Problem solved. And 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 podcast. Black Swan solved. It's like we already we know everything. That's great. No, it was very good, very uh, well thought out. Yeah, about seeing her mom at the end. I mean, it's very intentional. Like, like she literally she looks down at Prince, gives her nod of like I accept your apology. Looks out at her mom, gives her nod, and then falls off. You know, and her character dies, and then like Nina presumably dies as well. And so it's like it's one of those things like when I when I started, and this is just earlier today, I was going through Swan Link and reading about Swan Link, and I was like, oh my gosh, this makes so much more sense now. It's like there have to be some sort of metaphors here because I mean, like, there has to be some reason why they chose Swan Lake aside from just swans are a little creepy, I guess. I actually I watched part of a production of Swan Lake, and I have to say I like Natalie Portman's version better. Like the emotion she shows in that scene is just incredible. And then like the black swans dance she does at the end it's like she completely nailed that like i think that's the most powerful scene in the movie is her black swan dance at the end in the premiere yeah like that was incredible if yeah if ballets are like that i'll go see ballets definitely i don't know if they are but i don't think so (laughs) So... but yeah i want but that's what i that's what i want and i've seen yeah I've, i've never i don't know why i've never was interested in it and I've been I've seen operas, which I feel like are similar, like when you were describing it, you know, they're not saying these things. It's all through dance. And it's like an yeah. opera. I can't understand what they're saying because it's usually not in English, although they do have subtitles. But even though like that's kind of doesn't really go together and still like such a big metaphor and like a song, you know, and, and everything. So it, it was I don't know, right. trying to relate I mean, about- to it, to think mm-hmm. about, you know, just watching something that's completely in dance form <laughs> mm-hmm. and trying to get that from that must right. be hard. It, like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> Yeah. Ballet is, I mean, it's kind of like Shakespeare. It's one of those things where it takes some effort to get yeah. into and truly appreciate. Right. And, you know, I actually, in college, is finally the time I did get into Shakespeare. And I was like, this is actually some really good stuff. When did we take the Shakespeare class together? Did we? I think, um, did I we can't do, remember. Did we do it with Becky? And uh, we did, we did like a project on Troilus and Cressetta. Was that you? I don't think I did Troilus and Cressetta. Okay, no, and I know, I know Becky loved that sock, one. We did a sock puppet interpretation of that movie. I don't think it was that one. So, okay, never mind um, then. Oh gosh, quick aside there, but yeah, I I can't remember for the life of me what classes we took together because college is all a blur for me. Right, and I was like, I had to, I was in that class with 
I think it was, I guess, Dr. O'Sullivan. He was like the Shakespeare guy. Anyway. Reminisce on our, our glory days as English majors. I know. So. I know. I thought that was you. I thought it was me, you, and Becky who did the project, but it might not have been now that I think about it. Uh, yeah. I haven't read Trellis and Cresta, so it wasn't okay. me. Okay. Never but... mind. Just kidding. Yeah. Anyway, all that to say, ballet yeah. is an acquired taste. And I mean, after it watching is. this yeah. movie, I can see the appeal. I don't know that I would still fully appreciate like a full on production of Swan Lake, but I can definitely see the appeal now after seeing this movie. And that yeah. is a really cool thing. Yeah, so, that is. Yeah. It is good when movies can do that. And it's like, well, I've never been, uh, you know, interested in seeing a ballet. But if if a ballet is anything like what we saw on screen here, uh-huh. I mean, it seems really interesting. And you know, I like really dark and fucked up things. So you think that I would like well, it. Well, <laughs> yeah. on that note, you know, um, I mentioned there were some other changes people have made over the years. Uh-huh. Yeah. In 1950, um, okay. there was one famous ballet company that changed the ending. And really? so they yeah, they changed the ending so that Odette does not die. Were they like, oh, no, no, that's too boohoo? Yeah, they're like, we need a, we need happier ending. So literally, they're like, we need a happier ending. And so they just kind of rewrote a happier ending. And oh. so now Siegfried kills the guy that put the swan curse on Odette. Oh, okay. And then Odette wakes up, and then they live happier, happily ever after. Yeah, and so like right now, it's actually up in the air as to which one you'll see, because different companies kind of pick and choose which one they like. Yeah. I like the darker ending. I think it's much more poetic, and I think you would agree with that. But um, yeah, like, I don't think this needs a happy ending. No, it doesn't. Definitely doesn't. I'm not down on happy endings i'm okay with happy endings but a forced happy ending i'm like no way that's awful what did you not like about this film the one thing that took me out of it for a minute, and it really has nothing to do with, I think, the story or anything, but maybe bad editing on the editor's part. And this happened to me this time when I saw it. So it was either my second or third, and I'm pretty sure it happened the first uh-huh. time. When Nina goes into Toma's office to tell him that she finished the move and he said he doesn't care, you know, and, and uh-huh. um, that he's given the other part to another girl and he tries to kiss her, she bites him and she leaves. and. It makes it seem like seconds later the names are posted and Nina gets the part. But Rob, but um, Toma actually says that he changed his mind when she bit him. So technically, it's just bad editing. I think it just seems like there's not. Yeah. I think a long time has been like maybe it was a full day of practicing. I have no idea. And then the parts are posted, and then he made that decision. I think that it changed because of the bite. So it it, it just seemed like oh, it yeah. happened right after the other. So maybe there was more in there that we didn't see because it's an editing mistake. And then they tried to edit scenes out, you know, or or something. But that didn't. I got very confused because I was like, wait a minute, like this literally just happened. I mean, it could have been like later that day. Right. Um, it was probably because, later yeah. that day. But because of the editing, it made it seem like it was like she left. She went and sat down and then said congratulations to Victoria or whoever it was. And then they went and saw the names. And I was like, that was like less than a minute <laughs> has gone by. How did right. that, How did that change? So that was really, I mean, that was the only, I mean, I can't really... <sighs> I can't really think of like very much other than than that. And like, I just want 
her to eat more, but that's, um, has nothing to do with, um, (laughs) uh, anything, you know, like I said about the stereotypes, I don't think it was taken too far because I think that we can't really accurately say what is going on with stereotypes in here because it is so it's the, the whole point of the movie is that it's through Nina's eyes. So if Nina has problems with stereotypes then Nina has problems, you know, like, I, I don't right. know, you know, that kind, it's it's hard for me to comment on that. Yeah, that was really the only, what was that, what about you? What did you not like? I mean, what were some things? Well, one criticism I read of this is that like this film is very obviously based on The Red Shoes, the 1948 film. And then most people who have seen both have said The Red Shoes is a better interpretation of this idea i have not seen the red shoes have I you haven't seen, nope nope i've never seen and it so i, I kind of want to go back and watch it now because it's supposed mm-hmm. to be very similar to this now it's Ooh. it doesn't delve as much into the you know the twisted psychology of the main character but there's a lot of the same themes some people have said it's kind of an unofficial remake i think it goes beyond that mm-hmm. now grant i haven't seen it so i, I don't know how much my opinion is so worth we don't there, know but yeah that's been one of the main criticisms i've seen of the film that and i think a lot of people just didn't fully gets the metaphor of everything is going on and admittedly i didn't either until after my second time watching it when i started doing some research but even roger ebert called this a melodrama that's about the cost of art and i think it's about so much more than that i think my my criticism would be maybe those metaphors are buried a little too deep in the film and so i mean like that's a good and a bad thing because i like digging into that and discovering these things but that also means a general audience is going to miss most of these things that's exactly what I liked about it is that I had to think and it was confusing for me at first and it was something that when and then when you start thinking about it and like you said digging into it it has all these layers and like everything mm-hmm. is there for a reason like everything it's like a it's like a, a wonderful novel that you're reading and you know mm-hmm. that's just for that type of people you know that like that kind of shit. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm not I like stuff that's entertaining for entertainment's sake too. That doesn't mean that I'm not saying that I don't like, you know, um big blockbusters and stuff like that that has nothing. Right. You know, I'm not I'm not trying to shit on that or <laughs> I'm just going to continue talking and it's going to continue sounding like I'm going to shit on it, but that's not what I'm do- I'm doing here, but I can really find entertainment probably out of any movie that I watch, but but I really like it when you have to dig and have to think and it's not just a uh, uh-huh. and, and it's something you can talk about later you know i like having converse obviously we both like having conversations about movies if we're doing this podcast and uh-huh. hopefully our listeners would also like that if they're listening to it <laughs> anything else with i i can't really think of much else that i didn't like about this film now i mean admittedly it's it's kind of hard to watch in some spots like it's not the most uplifting film so it's yeah. you know i think it's going to turn some people off for that but i love this film i think it's brilliant movie relates to mental health i think we touched on quite a bit of that earlier but anything else you saw yeah we did we did talk a lot about mental health like i said i one of my main things was you know the self-injury part and and how Mm -hmm. i was like is she a cutter or is she more of the skin picking type i couldn't tell but at the same time i thought maybe it was a little bit that uh maybe now that you kind of talked about it and talked about sexual abuse, maybe it is more about cutting. And, and you know, it's a way to cope with really intense feelings. And that's what mm-hmm. she was doing whenever she was having intense feelings about the ballet or whatever. She would discover this 
thing on her back. She doesn't remember it because she was cutting, you know, so it could be very related to that. I I, I don't know uh, the way that it stands right now. And and like I said, it seemed like she almost has some weird form of dissociative personality disorder, but also maybe psychosis. I, I don't know, you know, it's because it's like she disorder, doesn't yeah. remember when she's the other, the black swan portion, which is usually what happens when you have multiple personalities or dissociative mm-hmm. personality disorder, whatever it's called now. I know when I was going to school. A dissociative identity. Yeah, it was dissociative, I think, yeah. Yeah, dissociative identity, but it used to be multiple personalities. I think because of that, like you said, it was hard to watch a little bit, was kind of very intense for me and hard to mm-hmm. watch because of, you know, my past and my PTSD and my uh, sexual abuse when I was younger. It did right. seem cringeworthy when Toma is really using his power as someone who's head of the company and who's running oh, everything yeah. to sexually, you know, molest essentially these these women and doing that kind of stuff. He had like a Harvey Weinstein uh, right. <laughs> a moment here um, where, you know, man in power thinks he can do whatever he wants. So he's going to sexually abuse these people. So that was a little hard to watch. And I, I and I was uncomfortable. But I, I am I like discomfort in that weird way that's why i like right. the movie no, i get it like, yeah the, i thought the creepiest thing was that toma was actually based on a real person what i mean yeah which is another that, that goes along with like other stereo uh, as well as stereotypes of art you know unfortunately it is common that men in power and especially yeah. in show business and in the artistic and industry most of the time it's about power yeah. yeah yeah and and so that's the thing so is the stereo is it a stereotype is the stereotype right or wrong i mean what is the stereotype you know all that kind of stuff gets all mixed in there you know hashtag not all men kind of shit but oh, <laughs> right i know no you won't like, hear that from me so it's interesting i didn't know he was based off of a real a real person which yeah, that, I, I think it's the, really the guy who founded that company actually the guy who founded the new york ballet company oh, yeah. um it, yeah. like he apparently was the the basis for Toma. Yeah. which is super creepy. But I mean, like, you hear about this all the time in the film industry, too. Yes. So it's, I'm, I'm sure mm-hmm. just anywhere in the inter- entertainment industry, like Comedy. the music industry, I'm sure has I mean, its comment. people. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah. that's, you know, Louis C.K. kind of shit. So. Oh, man. Gosh, yeah, it's it's hard to watch. And then at the same time, like, I can't deny that Tama was a villain here. But like, Erica, I think, is also yeah. a major villain. In I mean, this. you made some really good points about Erica, and you did a very good analysis. So I feel like I am on, I, I agree. Yeah, with You're her. You're on Team Erica yeah. now? I am. Well, or right. Team Anti-Erica. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, like, I think this was, I mean, because you get confused watching this um, because, I mean, like, Nina is yeah. confused. She sees herself acting out in different ways she didn't expect. And, like, the, the way they transfer that confusion to the viewer, I think, just paints such a realistic portrait of what psychosis looks like. Yeah. And so you, you kind of get a feel for what psychosis actually would feel like when you watch this film. And so I have never really dealt with the psychotic episode, but I imagine it would probably be a lot like this film. Yeah. Where you see yourself losing control, you see yourself acting out in ways you don't expect to or even like, and then you see things happening that you're sure are real that end up not being real. So it's, I, I think, such a accurate, I would say, portrait of psychosis and what's causing that psychosis. You know, it's not entirely clear because, again, when you're dealing with a psychotic episode, but you haven't been diagnosed, you have no idea what's causing that. You have no idea if it's even real. So I, I think that was spot on, too. Dealing with abuse, so many signs that after it's been explained to me, it just seems so blatantly obvious in Nina I mean even down to her like mousy demeanor she's like in the presence of 
any authority figure. She is just completely shut down. I mean, I'm sure a scary thing for her. And so she's still recovering from that. So, I mean, I think, you know, a fairly brilliant, um, if hard to watch portrayal of a lot of different mental health issues. And, and, you know, Darren Aronofsky is good at like portraying things that are difficult and uncomfortable. Like Mm -hmm. the movie mother was, I think a little bit uncomfortable for people. I don't know if you've seen that. Um, I've heard more recent one. And the one that stands out to me, the number one film that I is the only film that really disturbs me is Requiem for a Dream. And I keep hearing you, that about the film. Yeah. I've never seen it. And it, I'm kind of scared and, and to watch it now. And I don't get disturbed by things. Like, that doesn't really disturb me. But the, the lady, so the main lady in that film, we're not doing that film, but just to give you, the main lady in that film reminds me of my mother. And so it's really Ooh. hard for me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Ellen, I think it's Ellen Burstyn. I think maybe uh-huh. or one of them. Um, but it's like she's got a New York accent, like my mom, which is like the only uh-huh. accent I can do is a New York accent. So um, because okay. I'm from New York. But anyway, so she just she, everything just reminds me of my mom. And I think it just really, really, really disturbs me. <laughs> the uh-huh. other stuff that disturbs other people in that movie, I'm like, that's not as disturbing as I feel like my mom. So I think it's disturbing on many different levels. But yeah, he's good at disturbing films. I don't know why. Right. And <laughs> This is meticulously crafted, too, to be disturbing. So I think that's all we had. Do you want to uh, pull up the little generator to pick out our next movie? Oh, okay. I will... Do the honors. So, okay. Do the I'm, honors. Okay. So, we, do that. we, we say are that every going, time. Yeah. Right. We are going, I am going to press a button which will pr- pick a random movie for what we're going to do. And the movie is Argo, the 2012 Academy Best Picture film. I have never seen this movie. I don't know anything about this. It's okay. like, <laughs> I, um, it looks like it won Best Picture and Best Adapted okay. Screenplay. Well, the IMDb thing says, Acting under the cover of a Hollywood producer scouting a location for a science fiction film, a CIA agent launches a dangerous operation to rescue six Americans in Tehran during the U.S. hostage crisis in Iran in 1979. Hmm. hmm. <laughs> All right. <laughs> like, so, <but> like <laughs> I, I know nothing about it. Like, it, apparently it did really well in 2012 at the awards. So it'll, it'll be interesting to do one that we have never seen. Or that we have no, and we don't right. really know where, yeah. So I think that then. Uh huh. Cause I mean, that, yeah, that's part of why we started this is we wanted to see what is public opinion of yeah. mental illness and mental health and not just mental illness, but mental health in general. And so, like, maybe one that we haven't picked out might be a better way, a better gauge of what the public yeah, thinks. Yeah. All right. So next time is Argo. Right. And I think that, you know, that really. Argo kind of wraps up our black swan take would you like to do the usual (laughs) okay um yeah so we are peculiar picture show our website is peculiarpicture.show you could go there to uh find ways to subscribe or just listen to the podcast directly on the site there will also be some additional things like right now i think we have uh, a bonus episode a kind of a practice episode we did on spirited away but um, there will be some additional information up there. There's bios, there's links to our Twitter profiles so you can get in touch with us, that sort of thing. Also, I write my own movie reviews on brandontalksmovies.com. So I have uh, movie reviews and uh, some top 10 lists and a few articles as well. 
Well, thank you, everybody, and I hope you have a great, uh, great rest of your week. All right. See you next time.